welcome to Second Time Lucky. I'm Nicole. And I'm Mahi. And we will be your hosts. Throughout this podcast, we will discuss transplant, the process of organ donation, and the ins and outs of my personal heart transplant experience. Just a heads up, some of the content might be a bit triggering. While we aim to keep things quite fun, mortality and medical procedures are discussed throughout the series. Also, a course language warning because we have a tendency to swear like sailors. Sorry! We would also like to say that we are not medical professionals, so please do not seek any medical guidance from the Second Time Lucky podcast, but we do encourage a transplant dialogue. We hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed making it. Episode 2. What led to Nicole's transplant, part 2. I met up with my cardiologist in Melbourne, the Melbourne one, um, and he was kind of like, I do think that a medication change is in order but if you're not comfortable do it when you're home yeah that was kind of a very big you know that was a very big thing for me to say to Matt I think I want to move home yeah I'm not feeling like myself I feel like my health is deteriorating I don't want to put this responsibility on you I think it's time to move home I kind of took that as like I love you, but, like, you know, I think it's best that I move. And he was kind of like, all right, when are we leaving? Like, oh, my God. I'm coming. Let's do it. I'm packing my stuff. Let's go. He's just the best. He is the bomb. He really is. So um, within months, we had moved home. I was really lucky that we lived in one of my dad's rental properties, which is very, very, very maybe too close to my parents' house. An appropriate Greek distance from your parents. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, a two-minute drive, a ten-minute walk, if that. My dad very conveniently rides his bike past our house still <laughs> every single night. Like, it's just the best. But at the time, I needed them, so yeah. that was very handy. So, yeah, cut to a couple of months. I moved home with Matt, and, yeah, my health was just... Very, 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 very bad. When I say bad, I mean like my defibrillator was shocking me. At this point, almost weekly, I was literally just being in an ambulance was more common than me being in a car. Like it was just, yeah, I was calling the ambulance every time. My anxiety was heightened, like maximum level, like even worse than it was before I moved to Melbourne. Yeah, honestly, just ridiculous. It changed Matt's life, it changed my life, it changed everyone around me's life. It just was not fair to any of us. Like, it was just too hard. Me and Matt also had some very serious conversations where I tried to break up with him multiple times just because I felt so guilty. Yeah. And he was like, okay, yeah, get that out of your system, piss off, let's just keep doing what (laughs) we're doing. Like, enough. So it was good to know that I kind of had someone there unconditionally that wasn't you know you know genetically needed to be (laughs) so that was nice knowing that he was there you know he had my back 100% but it was very very hard and my doctors literally said to me like you can't be left alone anymore so you're gonna have to have full-time care um yeah it was very very hard and you would have been like 27 at the time? I was 27. Yeah. Um, and soon after that, I went into cardiac arrest again, 
this time with my defibrillator, yeah. which is, of course, very, very rare. My defibrillator just honestly couldn't keep up with my body. And I went into cardiac arrest again. And Matt was home, right? Matt was home. Waiting for it to go off. So, yes. Yeah, so, I said to Matt, so I had like 10 seconds or so before my defibrillator would shock me that I knew I, and I would sit down or lay down wherever I was and I would kind of yell out like, my defibrillator is going to shock me and I was kind of in a panic. Um, so I w- they would always get a little bit of warning. Obviously, <laughs> 10 seconds isn't a lot of time, but it's <laughs> enough time to kind of find a seat, yeah. find a seat and also like prepare myself yeah. kind of thing. So I was very lucky the night that this happened. Of course, my cousin that has hasn't been to Australia since he was like two years old <laughs> is visiting. We're organizing a night out. He's at my house. We're having pre-drinks. My little sister's there. Matt's there. I'm getting ready. Deja vu. Obviously, it's just not meant to be for me to go out ever. <laughs> not um, meant to be a party gal. No, 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 no. <laughs> the last thing I remember was I was having a piece of pizza, and enjoying it from what I remember (laughs) and then yeah went into cardiac arrest and this time my little sister champion that she is gave me CPR and essentially saved my life again did you did you die this time around I did okay so two deaths by 27 two deaths by 27 I feel like that's pretty impressive right yeah, <laughs> not something to be proud about. Others are good at sport. I'm good at dying. You missed the 27 club. I literally, I was. I remember I woke up in hospital and I was like, "Where are the 27 club?" Like, <laughs> oh my god, how scary! But this time, because I knew how bad I got the first time, and I knew my anxiety was horrible. How bad I let my mental health get. I was like, I'm not letting that happen this time. I discharged myself from hospital. I remember there was one occasion where you you left secretly. Was that the occasion? <laughs> I, I, yeah, look, I packed my bags and I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not staying in hospital and having this. I remember my parents were like, don't worry about the house, move in with us again. Matt can move in. The cat can move in because Matt and I adopted a cat. And I was like, nah, I'm not doing this. I'm going home to my boyfriend and to my cat and to my own environment. I'm not doing this. I'm not getting pushed back to where I was. I'm going to pretend this never happened. (laughs) It worked. I feel like mind over matter. It actually did work. I mean, I started seeing a psychologist then, which was probably very long overdue. Um, she helped me in ways I cannot even explain. Yeah. She was amazing. But yeah, now my doctor was like, absolutely, you are not going to be left home alone. If there was any question. Um, I changed my medication, um, to something much stronger, which, um, (laughs) Oh, God, the side effects. So I remember I used to take this medication at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. And for, like, two hours after I would take this medication, I would actually not be able to see. So I would be, like, essentially blind for, like, two hours in the morning and two hours at night. Like, 
It was just the weirdest thing. What medication was it? So it was called amiodarone. Okay. This is kind of like a last case scenario drug. Like, um, before we consider a transplant, this is what you before, should try. Before, yeah. So, like, transplant was never mentioned to me at this point. Yeah. If this medication works, then you might not need a transplant. If it doesn't, let's just see where we go from there. Yeah. And a transplant could potentially be in your cards. But I wasn't there yet. So they... So, yeah, I was put on that medication and essentially kind of sent home or I left. Um, Wait, sorry, can we just go back to... What was the name of the medication again? Amiodarone. 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 Um, so if you watch Grey's Anatomy, it's like, Trinity Grey's of Amiodarone! Like, <laughs> like every episode. Every episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, all right, I'll suss more into this. I'm not going to devote to Grey's Anatomy because I hear that, like, once you start, you cannot you can't stop. stop. So. And there's, like, 20 seasons. Yeah, so, yeah. I feel like I'll lose my life. I have a TV addiction, so yeah. I can't do that. Um, But... So, okay, say that this worked, was there suggestion that you stay on this for life? Or is it like this This is something that you would need to take for three to six months and then you won't ever have any problems again? So this medication is a absolute worst-case scenario drug for a few different reasons. So a lot of people that go on this drug are essentially older. Okay. Um, this medication messes with your other organs. It's very, very strong and very potent. So, like, this affects your thyroid, this affects your kidneys, and this affects your liver. So they said to me, you can't be on this medication forever. Okay. So this medication was kind of a bridge until they figured out what my other options were. Because they didn't want you to consider transplant. Well, no one, it was just no one really said anything about it. Like, I'm not going to bring it up. I don't want a bloody transplant. So, like... My defibrillator obviously wasn't doing what it needed to. Obviously, yeah. it had saved my life many, many times but yeah. up until this point. But that one time, it didn't. Well, it, I, there was a number, though, wasn't it? It wasn't like 23 times it saved your life. At that point, it was roughly about 23 or 25. Yeah. By the time I had my transplant, it was like up to 70-something. Whoa. But that's only from what I can remember. Whoa, okay, yeah. So, God knows the rules Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they kind of say this drug is not a lifelong, it's not even really a lifelong option. Yeah. This could lead to you needing a kidney transplant or something because it really just messes with your organs. But it saves your heart? But it puts your heart into a good rhythm. Okay, okay. So it's like potentially fixing, well not even fixing, temporarily kind of band-aiding this problem but also ruining your body in many other ways. Yeah. So I was kind of like, well, what are we going to do? I can't be on this medication forever. And in that time, my thyroid became overactive. So that gave me a whole other problem, you know. So, like, it just wasn't doing what it needed to do. It was kind of keeping my heart symptoms at bay. Yeah. But my anxiety was still there. My thyroid, my thyroid was now, you know, taking a beating. Yeah. My kidneys, I was getting my kidneys checked. I was getting my lung function checked and my liver checked regularly. Luckily, they were they were hanging on for dear life. They were doing okay, but, like, for how long? Yeah. So um, this was April that this happened. 
cut to September. So April to September was kind of touch and go. Defibrillator was shocking me. I was on semiodorone, you know, kind of just living day to day at this point. Not doing much. Kind of just getting up. Just existing. Yeah. You know, waking up, you know. And yeah. So um, anyway, cut to September. The magic month. The magic month. <sighs> Even now, when September comes around, I get like a bit of anxiety. Understandable. <laughs> Cut to September. So my mother-in-law, Matt's mum, was meant to come to Adelaide. And Matt's two friends were going to come to Adelaide. It was like grand final weekend. I don't care about football, so <laughs> it didn't really affect my life. But um, Matt was very excited about it. And we were originally going to go to Melbourne. I said to Matt, I'm not really feeling up to going to Melbourne for it. Maybe you go. Yeah. And I might just go stay with my parents while you're there. I'm just not feeling it. I just feel like I'm not into it. Something is just not quite right. Yeah. Um, and I know my body by this point. Yeah. I've, I'm very familiar with my body. You know, I just, I, I was very adamant. I was like, I'm not going to Melbourne. I need to stay home. So Matt organised for his mum. Yeah, he was also very adamant about wanting to go. And at the time, I was like, I'm telling you that I'm not well. Like, I can't go. And he was like, I know, but what if we drive? What if we fly? What You know, I was like, Matt, I'm, I'm not feeling it. I can't yeah. go. Um, so he was adamant about you going as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we came to the conclusion that he would bring his mum over and his friends would come as well. Okay. And again, I was like, I don't care about football. Like, yeah. <laughs> what's the big deal? Like, just go. <laughs> um, so his mum was coming, I think it was like a, oh, I want to say like a Thursday or something. Um, and I remember I went to hospital like on the Wednesday or something. I didn't stay there overnight, just another one of my little, you know, little quick trips. My heart was being funny and I just went for peace of mind. Came home and I was like, Matt, I really need to have a shower. Your mum's coming tonight. Um, you know, can you just maybe come sit in the bathroom with me while I shower because I'm not feeling very well? Um, yeah, so just come stay with me while I have a shower. So I went into the shower and... My defibrillator, I had shampoo in my hair, by the way, in my big, thick, long hair. <laughs> Lathered up. Like um, a, a nest for shampoo. I had a nest of shampoo in there. <laughs> um, and my defibrillator shocked me in the shower. And I woke up, it shocked me again. I woke up, I ran to my bedroom, shocked me again. I was literally in and out of consciousness for about half an hour. Alone in the house at this stage. Matt was there. Okay, Matt was there, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I was in and out of consciousness. My defibrillator was just shocking me non-stop. I counted that it shocked me 17 times. Oh, my God. Um, and also, I just want to quickly side note, say that when you get shocked by a defibrillator, the doctors describe it as being kicked in the chest by a horse. Okay. So, like, the pain from having one shock is quite traumatising. And it's also, like, the experience of getting shocked is scary. Yeah. So, this was happening 
could like shock, 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 like consistently. So like it wasn't even giving my body time for me to pass out. Like I was awake. Yeah. Um, Matt, I said, call my mum. This is it. Like I'm, I'm dying today. <laughs> this is it. Um, so he called the ambulance first. Um, and after he called the ambulance, he called my mum. I remember my mum came and seeing the look on her face, we were both kind of like, I think this is it. Like, this is very much, this is very serious. This has not happened yet. Obviously I've been to cardiac arrest before, but this is like constant. And I remember I was just screaming until the ambulance got there. I was like an absolute mess. There is a, like, a medication that the ambulance can give you through an IV to kind of relax your heart rate. But they could not even find a vein because I was so beside myself. I was shaking. I was, like, jumping up and down. I was crying hysterically. I remember, like, even just looking at my mum's face, she, just the, like, the fear in her face was like very very intense and obviously like when I went into cardiac arrest those two times I was out so like I didn't see anyone reacting to what had happened because I was I was out it wasn't so when you say that your your body was it was it was that just the reaction to the defibrillator or was that like you kind of just having this mental breakdown in reaction to I mean both so when the defibrillator shocks you you do a big kind of jolt yeah um, so that was happening, but also I was just beside myself. Yeah. The, I remember the paramedics were kind of like, there's nothing we can do unless you are not getting shocked and you need to be calm because we need to find a vein. And so... And I, it's not worthwhile them just pricking taking a into yeah. No, yeah. I mean, okay. I was literally like kind of hands in the air wailing. Like yeah. I just, I could not sit still. Um, so I eventually, I remember my mum, I was, I was in my bedroom, literally still lathered up. I was naked. I had a towel around me. My mum sat on top of me. Whoa. She, I remember like, I was like on my back on my bed and my mum was kind of like on top of me. So we were kind of like face to face. Her body was on top of mine, which actually was kind of comforting. Yeah. Like the pressure of having someone on top of me actually felt calming I guess so like it was scary though because I was getting shocked she was also feeling the jolt so like okay yeah um so they were able to find a vein they gave me like I guess you know like relaxants um and I remember I just kind of like zoned out and they were like we're going to take you to the hospital they took me to the um resuscitation ward and I was like, oh, man, I feel like you don't come here unless you're <laughs> dying. And it was funny because as I was driving to the hospital in the ambulance, my mother-in-law's plane was landing in Adelaide. So Matt picked up his mum, brought her straight to the hospital. And I had, oh, my God, IVs everywhere. They were giving me all sorts of medication. My electrolytes were totally drained from my body. I Yeah, I was just beside myself. I was just, my sisters at that point had come. My dad got there. My mum was there. Matt and his mum, Karen, had come. And at that point, I met this doctor 
who I had never met before. And he kind of came to my bedside and was like, you need a transplant. You're, you're, you're a ticking time bomb. Like, you can't keep living like this. You need a transplant. Was that a moment of hope for everyone, though? Because I kind of feel like everybody comes to the hospital, like, and especially the look on your mum's face, like, everybody maybe thought that they were coming there to say goodbye to you. Yeah. I very much felt like that for me. Yeah. I was also kind of like, I'm just going to turn my defibrillator off and let, you know, nature take its course. I'm oh. obviously just not meant to be here. Like, oh my God. honestly, this is just ridiculous. Like, how many signs do I need? Jesus Christ. And so when the doctor came in, I was also just kind of, number one, I was medicated. Yeah. So I don't think it really hit me then. But I remember he was just kind of very blasé. I guess that's his job. Yeah. He's kind of desensitised to that whole thing. And he came in and was kind of like, my name is, I'm not going to mention his name. Yeah. <laughs> but he's a transplant doctor in Adelaide. I, I think you need a transplant. I'm going to organise your work up and I'm going to fly you to Sydney by the end of the week. So I was put into a ward, obviously, once I was stable. And it did very much feel like it was kind of the end because I have a very big family and they were always there. My cousins, even cousins that I didn't see often, they were like at the hospital every day. I remember my parents called a priest and he came and I was like, okay, yeah, everyone obviously, this is the end. Like, this is it. And then it was a Tuesday And the same doctor, the transplant doctor, came in and said, you're flying to Sydney tomorrow to do your workup and let's see if we can figure this out and get you a new heart and this is potentially going to save your life and turn your life around. And so when he said that, I was kind of like, all right, let's do it. And at that point, I was also like, nothing scares me anymore. Like. I'm not scared of nothing. Let's do this. I'm ready. And I remember Matt brought my iPad in and he was sitting in my hospital bed with me and I Googled like heart transplant because I don't know anyone that's had a heart transplant. Like I don't know anything about transplants. So, and now that this was actually real and I was getting flown there the next day um, yeah, we just literally, I remember, sat in the hospital bed, like, Googled heart transplants, and I was reading, like, very scary stuff, but I thought, as long as I'm not getting shocked by this defibrillator, I don't care, I'll, I'll risk it, like, let's do it, and that night, Matt proposed to me, and that was obviously why he was so adamant that he wanted us to go to Melbourne that weekend, because the ring was in Melbourne. Oh, shit. Yeah. So he had, like, gone to Melbourne a few months earlier and organised this ring to get made. Obviously, I was in my own little world just trying to stay alive every day, so I had no idea. So that was why he was so adamant that he either wanted us to go to Melbourne or his family and friends to come to Adelaide because he needed to get the ring. So, I mean, because I was there when he proposed, not in the room, obviously, he was there that day. So did his mum bring the ring down? His mum or his friends actually brought the ring down. But the hospital, like I said, was just full of visitors from morning till night every day. (laughs) And so he just, 
I didn't even, I had no idea. He had this ring in his pocket every single day and was just trying to find the right moment. And my family were just always killing it. So <laughs> I remember my mum, it was just like, I think it was, it was the day before I went. So I think it was like a Tuesday afternoon. And it was also my little sister's birthday. <laughs> and it was just my mum. Obviously, everyone else was at work. And my mum and Matt were the only ones at the hospital. And my mum and Matt kind of gave this weird little, like, look to each other. And I obviously was in my own little world. I didn't know what that was. Yeah. And mum was like, I am going to go to the cafeteria. Your mum was the worst liar. She honestly was just the worst liar. <laughs> I am feeling like I need a coffee. So I am going to leave you to it. I was like, all right, well, you know, like, see you later. <laughs> and... Matt, I was like, can you please just crawl into the bed with me? I was like, I just, I just want to, I call it the store, like his, this little area between his chest and his arm. I like nestle into that little area yeah. and that's like my safe space. Yeah. And I was like, I just need to go into the store, open up, I'm coming in. <laughs> and I closed my eyes because I sleep best when I'm in the store. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like ready for a nap, like let's do this. And... Matt was like, open your eyes. And I was like, no, fuck off. Like, I'm, I'm tired. Like, what? And he was like, can you please open your eyes? Open them. And I was like, what? And he had this ring box there. And he didn't even say anything. He was just kind of like, just the look. Yeah. And I told him, mind my language. I told him to get fucked. <laughs> I was like, what? Get fucked? What do you mean? And he was like, are you going to open the, open it? Are you going to open the box? And I was like, what? What? Like, I was so like, number one, exhausted. I was out of it. Neither, I was flying to Sydney the next day to get this bloody work up for this transplant that I didn't even know if I wanted. And like, my, honestly, my brain was just in a million places. That I don't need jewellery right now. Yeah, like, why buy me jewellery? <laughs> and I opened it and it was just, the most beautiful ring I've ever seen in my whole entire life. It is bloody stunning. I know. And he asked me to marry him. And then, like I said, just random family members were coming in and out. This auntie that I never see <laughs> walked in mid-proposal and she was like, Hey, Nick, with like, you know, flowers and stuff. And I was like, uh, we're actually kind of in the middle of something. <laughs> Meanwhile, Matt was like with this ring box open waiting for me to say yes and she was like oh my god shit i'm gonna leave and i was like i love this is an auntie that you don't ever see it wasn't that even was a close moment it was yeah. like your mom like, no no um but i was like no don't worry about it just come in so she came in and was kind of there for our proposal which was super <laughs> random and weird but kind of mate it's just my life like that's yeah. just some such a thing that would happen to us and yeah, so, like, we got engaged in the hospital, in the cardiac ward, to be specific. We should become, like, a second home. I said, I think we deserve a plaque for this room, <laughs> but no one was keen, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm going to really fight for that. But, yeah, then Matt messaged my mum, like, it's done. Like, he just murdered me or something. <laughs> and then... She came to the room and my random auntie was there and like, so it was so nice. And then I remember you came and like with some other friends and I was like, guys, I'm engaged. And you were like, bullshit. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> it was a very 
very nice day, but it was always kind of like in the back of my mind, like, okay, I'm going to Sydney tomorrow and I don't even know what's going to happen. And the next day, so Matt actually stayed in the hospital with me. I made him sleep in the hospital bed with me. And the nurses would come in and be like, can he maybe sleep on the, on the, you know, on the day bed? And I was like, we just got engaged five minutes ago. No. And so, yeah, what a time. Um, but anyway, so the next morning I flew to Sydney on a private jet. Mind you. It was a hospital jet, right? It was a hospital jet. So like one of those like flying doctors jets. Are they just like a bed in a plane? So there's a bed in there, um, but, mate, I was on cloud nine. Number one, I just got engaged, like, ten hours earlier. Yeah. But also, like, I was in a private jet. They gave me subway. They, like, I was living my best life. So at that point, I didn't feel like I wanted to lay down. So um, we were escorted by, like, there was one doctor, one, wait, no, there was one paramedic and one nurse that accompanied us in the flight, I was still connected to heart monitors and blood pressure machines and all that kind of stuff. And we flew to Sydney. My mum came with me, obviously. And then just to, um, like, be clear, this wasn't you getting a transplant. This was no. assessing if you can have a transplant. Yeah. So this was called the workup process. So this is when I flew to Sydney. I was there for 10 days. And they, again, assessed to see whether I was even eligible for a transplant. So, obviously, there's criteria that you need to fulfil. And if you don't meet that criteria, sorry, you can go home and just live the way you're living and see what happens. Sounds splendid. Yeah. Sounds like it's going so well. So. Yeah, yeah. So, in my mind, I was probably like, knowing my luck, I'm not even going to be eligible for this <laughs> bloody transplant. So, what's the point? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I flew to Sydney, was in this hospital that I'd never been to before, doctors that I'd never met, you know, nurses that I didn't know, only my mum was there, she wasn't even allowed to stay with me overnight, so I was alone, and getting pocked and prodded and poked, and like, it was honestly just very, very scary. Yeah. Especially, um, like, that you're going through all this only to maybe not even hear yeah. any answers. and that was kind of my thing. Like, this better be worth it. Like, this yeah. better end in me being eligible for a transplant. Otherwise, this is traumatic. Or like, answers, at least. Like, yeah, exactly. At least to know, because like I said earlier, I had long QT syndrome, but that wasn't even a definite. Yeah. Um. So even I thought my best case scenario would be to be eligible for transplant, but I at least want to be, you know, given medication that could treat me properly or, like, to get off this amiodarone medication that yeah. is, you know, essentially ruining my insides, yeah. you know, like, at least make this trip worthwhile. So um, I was there for 10 days. Like I said, test after test, you have to do psychology tests to see if you're mentally prepared for a transplant and... Um, Physical tests, you know, just blood tests, just oh, you name it, I did it. Um, I was black and blue by the end. Yeah. Bruised everywhere. Also just like emotionally just thrashed, just exhausted. A highlight of my trip, though, was that I, because I, it, this was at St. Vincent's Hospital in Sydney, in Darlinghurst, 
that is a transplant hospital. So I made so many friends who were in the same boat as me. Yeah. So And around your age as well. And around my age. Yeah. So it wasn't just like I'm this loner from Adelaide who doesn't know anyone that's had a heart transplant before and I'm in this by myself. It was like I finally had people that I could talk to and cry to and they would actually understand my pain. Not like... Obviously, my family and my friends and Matt were amazing, but, like, unless you go through something so traumatic like this, it's really hard to to understand, you know? Yeah, and I think that's something that, like, I, like, personally always um, struggled with was that, like, you know, in order for me to try and understand your situation better, I had to ask a million one questions. And, yeah. like, I could even tell, like, when I would ask questions, but, like, you're not maybe always in the headspace to answer them. And it was yeah. like this, like, we're both in this situation of, like, we want to connect more on this, but, yeah. like we're coming from different yeah areas yeah you know? so like so like yeah I, I like you know I, I could be there as the friend that has been in part in your life for a while but I could yeah. never be there as someone that could relate to what you're going through yeah yeah but I mean don't get me wrong that support that I was getting from everyone was amazing yeah and like nothing short of amazing like you guys and my family were just beyond but the support that I got from these people was different that understanding that understanding was what I needed because also like I would say like I'm having such a bad day blah 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 and everyone would be great but these people were like oh my god yeah that's because of this or like oh god I know how bad was that you know the the right heart catheter you know like all these (laughs) things that people did not understand. Yeah, it's a different language. It is a different language. And even to me, because I was very new to this whole transplant world too, so, like, I learned more from these people than I did from the doctors. Yeah. Also, doctors are busy. They don't have time to sit down and tell you every single thing about every single thing. So I would have, you know, I'd have a biopsy, and then I'd come back and be like, I don't... They'd be like, what did you just have done? I'm like, I don't blame you. They went through my neck and they did this. And they're like, okay, so that's a biopsy. So, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like, and also doctors talk to you in doctor language. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. So, like, these people were able to tell me in a language that I finally understood. It was like I finally met my people. Like, yeah. And it's a new culture. Of course. Yeah. And I loved that. And from the day one where I didn't know anyone and I was really scared and I was angry that I had to be there and like felt so distant from everybody that I loved everyone was home and living normal lives and I was by myself there and you know my poor mum had to be with me alone to the 10th day I didn't want to leave because I made these relationships with people that I I loved and they got me and we you know it was it's like I knew these people my whole life. Um, and so that was just so bloody helpful. Like, I just, I love them so much. Like, I just, you know, just, yeah, just, I will never forget it. I will never forget those relationships that I formed then. Yeah. And we are going to go into that, that more as well. Like, we're going to have, like, yeah. specific episodes just devoted to that. Um. Okay, so, I, um, so... At this stage, you um, did this, and this is where you're going to learn that you had the transplant. And we're going to go into, like, proper detail as to, like, everything that revolves around transplant, including, yeah. like, what is the workup and, like, what are the criteria that you need to meet. Yeah. But how long did it take from the workup mm-hmm. 
to finding out that you're actually eligible? Was that why you were there in Sydney? It was while I was there. So um, I found out that I was eligible on day nine. Okay, yeah. So, like, but you were already committed to being there for ten days. I was. So I didn't. It was kind of like a day to day thing. Okay, yeah. So I that's was, just like nerve wracking. It was because also like I would talk to my siblings and Matt and or people. My family would call me and be like, "When are you coming home?" And I yeah. actually was like, "I don't know." Yeah. I I don't know. Like, I didn't have tickets booked because also the hospital organized all that stuff. Yeah. So they were kind of like, the social worker was great and she was kind of like. When we find out that you're eligible or not, I'll book you a ticket home. So, like, I I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know if I was going to be there for a month, a year. God yeah, knows. Jesus. So, um, day nine, I remember I just did, like, a psych evaluation. Okay. So, I had, like, a psychologist come up to me, ask me how I was handling things. And I think they just kind of test the waters to see if you will be able to handle a transplant mentally. mentally. Yeah. Okay. Um, I luckily passed that. It was actually funny because me and him ended up just talking about him and like he had an accent and I was like, by the way, where are you from? I love your accent. And so like we had a laugh yeah. and like <laughs> it was great because I became so comfortable yeah. by the end. By the ninth day, I knew everyone by name yeah. and like they were kind of walking past my room like, hey, Nick, how you doing? Are you eligible? Yeah. I'm like, no, nah, not yet. Like, <laughs> I don't know when that's going to happen. Like, yeah. It was really cool. Like, I felt like I did at the Royal Adelaide Hospital. I know that sounds really depressing, but, like, I felt at home yeah. there. Um, and then on day nine, the professor of, like, the transplant team came up to me and my dad had flown in at this point. So I had my mum and dad and myself in this meeting. And he was kind of like, I've got some news. We think you're eligible for transplant. I didn't, I don't, like, I don't remember feeling anything. I yeah. was just kind of like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Now what? Like, yeah. He was like, how are you feeling about it? And I was like, fine. I don't know. I I think you're just also desensitized by this point. Yeah. Nothing scared me anymore. Nothing, you know, I don't I don't care anymore. Like whatever the answer, I'm going to be okay with it. And I guess by that point also like words aren't enough. You need to see results anyway. Yeah. So like, All right, cool, transplant, but I guess we'll see where that goes when yeah. it happens. Yeah, exactly right. He said to me, "What I like to do is let them let I like to let people sleep on it." Yeah. Okay. If you're keen, I guess. Obviously, he was much more professional than the way that I'm relaying this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, he was keen for a transplant? Yeah, he's keen. He's keen. Let's yeah. go in now. <laughs> um, he was like, talk to your family and your fiance, and I'll come back tomorrow and we'll talk about it. Yeah. I called Matt and I was like, I'm eligible. What do you think I should do? And he was like, get it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, and my parents were, my dad is very, like, he brings, like, a pad of paper and a pen to everything. So he wrote all these notes down, was Googling all night. And obviously, oh, wow. if you type in heart transplants in Google, it's actually quite scary. It's not exactly like a, this is amazing, do it now type of thing. It's, yeah. like, a very scary thing. Yeah. So we talked about it and we were all very scared and hesitant, but... 
don't know if hesitant's the right word. Obviously, like reluctance, just because it's scary and it's a yeah. whole life change. Yeah. So, but I decided, I said to my parents and to Matt, this is the way that I think about it. I don't want to keep living the way that I'm living. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that I was suicidal by any means, but like, I don't want to go home and know that this is my reality and every day is kind of defibrillator shocks, hospital visits, living day to day. I'm not doing that. So if I can do something to change that, I'm going to try it. Just like, I know it doesn't compare, but like that big leap moving to Melbourne from Adelaide was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. So I thought change isn't always bad. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. So the next morning the professor came and this time he came and brought like 10 forms and I had to sign every single form and we went through all of this stuff very morbid, depressing stuff. Like, yeah. one in two transplant patients will get cancer. You know, you're immunosuppressed for the rest of your life. You're going to be on meds for the rest of your life. So, like, it was very confronting. But, again, I'm desensitised by this point. So, I was like, just show me the dotted line and I'm going to sign it. <laughs> End of story. Um, a lot of people, like, take pictures when they're signing the form. I was like, I'm not interested. Just give me the form. I'm, I'm, <laughs> let's just do it. Um... I signed the form and I was like, send me home. Yeah. I'm yeah. ready to go home now. So I had my answer and it's all good. Yeah. Send me home. Let's do it. Next chapter. Next, exactly. I felt like I had shut a huge chapter to my life and yeah. I was like, this gives me hope. Yeah. And like, even if, I know this is really depressing, but even if I don't make it to transplant, or even if I don't make it through the actual transplant surgery, at least I know that I'm I'm, I'm brave, man. Yeah. Like, this is huge. Well, like, I mean, no one was questioning that, that's for sure. No one was like, isn't this all brave? No, everyone was like, I, like, I feel like when you're the one going through it, though, it's kind of like, you don't have a choice. It's yeah. not a point of like, oh, my God, I'm being so brave. It's like, you just got to do this to survive. It's yeah. like you're on survival mode. It's not all right, I'm going to try to be strong and put on a brave face. Yeah. It's like, nah, you well, just do what you got to do. Yeah, well, your other option was just doing what you were already doing and that wasn't working. No. It just wasn't, it straight up wasn't working. So. Exactly, exactly. So I flew home and told everybody and the next step was just wait. Yeah. The doctor was kind of just like, go home, pack a bag, um, you know, have it by the front door, have your phone charged at all times. I'm going to call you at some point in the next God knows how long and you're going to fly back to Sydney and you're going to get your transplant. And so that's what happened. I It was actually very good timing because my sister had just given birth to my niece two weeks before my workup. So... She was on, my sister was on maternity leave. Um, so what we were doing while I was waiting for transplant, because, again, I couldn't be left alone. So Matt was waking up in the morning, driving me to my sister's house. I was going back into bed at her house. Yeah. <laughs> um, and essentially just spending time with my sister and my niece. And so, like, it was the best possible distraction. Yeah. You know, everyone talks about, like, the weight 
you know, the waiting for the phone call, but mine actually wasn't that bad. Yeah. Like, I was spending my day with my niece and I was watching her grow and I was able to be there for all of her little milestones too. So like, like so many new lives starting at one point. Like yeah. your new life, like Marley or your niece just being born. Yep. And then your sister being like having new life as, as a mum. Mom. Yeah. So like it was good. I like it was hard because obviously my sister was a new mum and still trying to figure out what to do in that respect. But also she had to take care of her sister who yeah. was essentially dying and like there was a lot of times where I made her shower me and I would have panic attacks and she would have to call the ambulance and you know a lot of it wasn't you know roses every day it was very much you know I feel like I'm definitely making it sound better than it was it was very very hard but we made it work and at least I it was if I had to go through that, I did it in the best way possible. Yeah. You know? um, and then Matt would pick me up after work and I'd spend the night with him. And then same, every day, night with him, day with her. Like it was, we made it work. And then... And then we'll start the next chapter. Yeah, next to episode. be continued. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we, you know, we know that well, it, it, it always seems like it turns out great. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> 